Hi there, and welcome to PodRocket, a web development podcast brought to you by LogRocket. LogRocket helps software teams improve user experience with session replay, error tracking, and product analytics. Try it for free at LogRocket.com today. My name is Paul, and join with us is Tejas Kumar. He's an international keynote speaker, angel investor, advisor, mentor. We've had him on the podcast before, and we've talked about things like TypeScript, setting up projects, building teams, and building great end experiences for our users. And today we're going to be talking about Zod and TRPC for the rest of us, his talk that he recently gave. Welcome back to the podcast, Tejas. What's up? It's good to be here. So people probably know who you are because you've been on a few times, but for those who are tuning in for their first time, how did you step into the world of development? How did you step into doing podcasts with us? And what are you into right now? I stepped into the world of development by by chance. Yeah, I wrote my first line of code when I was eight years old after playing a lot of Prince of Persia on Windows 3.1. Great game. And I was like, yeah. And then I'm like, I wonder how this is made. And I was like, oh, cool. And that's my foray into tech and web followed. Mainly because the, the feedback loop with JavaScript is so easy. Like you just open a console and you can just like window.alert. Then the rest is history. What I'm really excited about these days is the work being done around developer experience. I think especially from the front end world, like from the likes of TypeScript and Vercel and all of the things in this area, the DX is just like increasing in quality exponentially year on year. And I'm so here for it. I feel like a lot of times that is the direction of the stuff we end up talking about. For the last 20 or 30 years, we've been solving, pushing the technological boundary. How fast can we load? How small can we get bundles? And now we're talking about solving more human-related issues, developer experience, team organization. And I mean, your talk, this is kind of like in line with it, your talk like Zod and DRPC for the rest of us. This is DX-related, would you say? I would say, but I'm glad you bring this up because I feel like it's DX related, but in service of UX. And I spend a lot of time on social media. And what I see is a lot of discourse on DX that doesn't really have a direct impact on UX. And that's what I'm not here for. Like we often, I feel like sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too, enter debates and discussions around things that your end users probably wouldn't even notice. And I think those... I'm weary of, but yeah, like Zod and TRPC, I think provide good DX by way of auto-completion and a lot of developer conveniences while also adding a lot of value to UX such that they literally like in the browser at runtime will add validation steps for your users. So it's this awesome thing where it's not just DX wins, but also UX wins. And that's what I'm really excited about. Like things that just feel good to me as a developer are awesome. Things that feel good to me as a developer, but then don't really impact my users, less awesome, but things that combine both. Oh my gosh, that's the gold. Now you mentor and like lead workshops and like right before this podcast, you lamented to us about like having a very long and involved deep process going over like React internals and stuff. So do you find that Zod and TRPC lend themselves very well to being like a silver bullet when teams are facing issues and you're going to advise them and you're in these meetings and you're saying, listen, like I have this thing, this technology in the back of my head. I'm sure it can help this process a lot. Is that a silver bullet for you that we're going to be digging into today? Yeah, I don't think it's a silver bullet. I'm very skeptical of silver bullets, but it's definitely a very valuable tool for sure. Because I feel like there's a lot of praise and joy around TypeScript. And TypeScript is, nowadays when I hear like people 
hate on TypeScript and say JavaScript is better. I don't know what to do with myself, right? I've got years of lived experience where typos are just a thing of the... I don't think about typos anymore. I don't think about if the number is not a number. Like all of these things are solved problems. I, I use my auto-completion and I trust myself a lot more thanks to TypeScript. So uh, TypeScript is amazing, but I still feel like TypeScript, at for users at least, solves half the problem. What I mean by that is... TypeScript doesn't necessarily solve DX plus UX, where UX is end user experience, but TypeScript does solve DX. I feel like the missing piece of TypeScript is where there's IO boundaries that are out of TypeScript's visible scope, where TypeScript has no idea like what's going to come to you over the network, or when, if you read from disk, like TypeScript has no idea of knowing what's coming. And that's where things break down. Or in the case of like form inputs, right? You, TypeScript has no idea what a user, user is going to type. And users often will try and type stuff that they shouldn't, right? I once did a talk recently at React Miami, where I made the mistake of creating a collaborative, like everybody type a CSS rule in real time, and we'll have a nice time. And I expected people to go Comic Sans or make the text red or something. But somebody did display none, and then nobody had access to anything. People like to just enter data that maybe they shouldn't. And so TypeScript falls apart at dynamic boundaries like that, disk IO, network IO, uh, user input. And so as great as it is for DX, I feel like it falls apart in, in user land. But this is where Zod shows up and it's like, hey, we complete the picture. We close the loop. We make TypeScript robust on both sides of the spectrum. And so I think that's what's really exciting about it. Could you talk to me a little bit about what is Zod and is TRPC is not Zod. That's a separate thing. And could we rope a definition for TRPC into the definition for Zod? Yeah, absolutely. So Zod is Superman's arch nemesis. I'm just kidding, though. No. Um, <laughs> it sounds. It sound, You. I. You could fool some people who like, aren't in the space ooh. of that one. A super villain named Zod. It totally works. No, he actually is from the DC universe. It's like Superman. no way. I'm not a DC guy. Yeah, me neither. Anyway, but so Zod is indeed from the DC universe, a villain. In the case of the case of software, Zod is a validation library that, in a very basic sense, will. You, you give it a schema and you say, I have these keys in a key value pair, like an object, and this key is supposed to be this type. And it has even better helpers, like this type, not just a number, but an optional number or a number within this range, or etc. So you just give it a schema and then it will validate that schema against any input you give it. That's what Zod does. It's just a validator. TRPC uses Zod as a validator for its work. And so you might ask, okay, what is TRPC's work? TRPC stands for TypeScript Remote Procedure Call. Draws a lot of inspiration from GRPC, which we probably scoped for another podcast. But TRPC is a communication framework between server and client. Think of GraphQL, right? GraphQL is the same. It's an RPC-based approach, meaning a remote procedure call-based approach that establishes a contract between server and client. In the case of GraphQL, this contract is described by the GraphQL SDL or the schema definition language. TRPC has the advantage of just being TypeScript. So there, there's no extra language specification to follow. TRPC combines a router and procedures such that a given route calls a given procedure with predefined input and output schemas. So like a simple example is a, greet, a greeter app, a greeting endpoint where you have a route slash greet. It accepts over HTTP post, it accepts a body of name is the key, and the value can be Paul. And that schema of the input type 
is something that Zod enforces both on the server and on the client. So that's the synergy between Zod and TRPC. So Zod is this validation library that ensures objects, numbers, any type is what you expect it to be. And TRPC uses Zod to make sure that your HTTP data across the network boundary is what it's supposed to be. Now, do you have to use Zod with TRPC or is that the suggested? Yeah, that's a really good question. As far as I've been able to use them in production, yes, you have to use Zod with TRPC. It literally, like in terms of the types, it expects Zod schemas specifically. Now, because everything is just an object, you could have an object that implements that interface. You know what I'm saying? You just have an object, but it is very closely coupled with Zod. So TRPC, just to be clear, it's like a server. We're talking about stitching together routers to create an API or some interface. It's not a server. So that's a good question. That's a really good question. It's a server and a client library. So when you import it, you import from TRPC slash server on the server side and TRPC slash client on the client side. The cool thing is it shares code. So the router itself can be built around a type, a static type that you define. You say type route is this Inputs are these, outputs are these, etc. And then you can take that type, which is just a type, and use it on the server implementation and in the client implementation. So that's the thing. So it shares types across both sides, but it has two separate packages, one for the server, one for the client, but the types are common. The big advantage as well, I mean, you didn't ask, but I assume you probably will, is there's no code generation step. So in the case of GraphQL, it supports this thing called an introspection schema where you can introspect a GraphQL server and look at all of its types of queries and mutations and inputs and outputs. And traditionally, like Apollo and a lot of tools use this introspection schema to derive types. They will literally say, it would generate static TypeScript types from that. The problem with that is if you forget to run CodeGen or maybe you go on vacation and come back, and in any case, your local static types can be out of sync with the server's introspection schema. This is mitigated with TRPC because everything is just type first. It's type first, it's not type generated. And that's the benefit. I think it's interesting that you use the word mitigated too because I'm assuming this means that your client, whenever you import it, it needs to be imported from the correct up-to-date source to reflect those correct types. So there is still the possibility of drift, but it's managed by hopefully your package manager. And hopefully you've got a nice monorepo and everything's linked properly. And yeah, there's a lot. I've heard someone say turbo repo plus TRPC plus TypeScript plus Zod is the thing. I think it, it varies based on what level your team's comfortable with working on. But yeah, it is mitigated. It's not solved entirely. Would you say that TRPC, if we were to make like a poster child quote for it, it's reduce errors in your app? Yeah, I think that. I think, yeah. well, I, I, the only problem I have with that statement is that that's pretty nebulous, right? Errors where? It is, it is nebulous, yeah. I think like we could refine the scope a little bit to say reduce network errors in your app for sure. I think that's a good one. Okay. Because also TRPC doesn't let you write any network handlers yourself. This is the great thing. It has strong opinions that it enforces. So for example, we used this greet endpoint earlier. You just literally describe the input, the output, and the business logic. But in terms of returning a status code or like setting cache headers or whatever, it manages as much of that stuff as it can. And you can, of course, take some control back, but it typically handles all of that for you out of the box. So it's pretty opinionated. And because it's opinionated, you can move faster. Sort of like on GraphQL, you know, they have an opinion about the cache. 
Yeah. And how are yeah, okay. So do you feel like it follows a similar mojo to GraphQL and where they're drawing that line? Yeah, yes. The only thing is GraphQL is GraphQL itself, if you think about just GraphQL in isolation, it's nothing. It's not a cl- <laughs> that's maybe a bit harsh. <laughs> <laughs> that's harsh. <laughs> that this thing, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I misspoke. What I meant was it's not a server, it's not a client. It's not any implementation. It's just a specification. And I think that's the difference, right? TRTC is like a set of libraries and it's concrete, whereas GraphQL itself is just an abstract specification. I'm going to take a moment here to just remind our listeners, if we're, if you want to reduce network errors, you could do things like TRPC. You can also check out LogRocket, which, you know, the whole point of the product is to help you find errors quickly, reduce that surface error and, and bring them to your developer team as quick as possible. So go to logrocket.com today to check it out for free. Tejas, if we're turning back to talking about what TRPC wins here, it reduces network boundary errors. There's a lot of frameworks today that kind of are poking a similar bear. So like Remix, if you're using Remix, or I'm thinking like Astro, they're like, you know, you can define these loaders and you don't have to worry about how you're serializing data as much. You need to make sure it's serializable, but you don't need to like worry about passing things along. Do you find that this step out of the network plane, so to speak, and how we're engineering around or trying to be creative about how we're transferring data is changing the structure of the web development team as a whole? Oh, that's such an excellent question. Wow. I feel honored just hearing this question. I think absolutely it is, right? Because if we look at the history of the web development team, so to speak, I'd say 20 years ago, it was just like one type of position, webmaster. That's it. What does that even mean, right? You just, you have somebody who works with, what is it, LAMP or WAMP or MAMP, Linux, Apache, MySQL, PHP. And this is one person just doing all the stuff and usually leaving apps susceptible to things like SQL injections because they're probably not security experts. And like, I've, I've been there. And then we got this deviation of front end and back end and senior front end and back end was... I still think it's somewhat nebulous because I see jobs for like backend engineer, but then there's also jobs for DevOps engineer. So it's, it's a little bit nebulous to me. But yes, I think that's the team we've had. Um, but I think introducing all of this, I'd say, server-side complexity to what is otherwise front-end-y stuff like Next.js and so on does augment the team structure and adds a new meaning, I would say, to full-stack developer uh, as a job description. Because it even adds like a piece onto the stack, right? Like it adds um, this component of the BFF, the backend for the front-end, that is a relatively new, I would say, concept that exists just because of like serverless functions and Next.js's API routes and things like that. So yeah, it definitely does augment the team structure. I'd say for the better. Because it, I feel like it gives more categories of jobs and therefore more jobs and therefore more inclusion and therefore more people get into tech. And I feel like it's good. I haven't seen anything negative from it. It reminds me of, I remember back in history class where we learned about how homo sapiens started to specialize. And that's what pushed the envelope forward because you could get the expert potter and the expert like weaver. And so here, when you say augment team structure, to me, it also feels like the team grows a little bit because you don't have one guy. We have several people, several individuals all contributing, but it allows people to silo. And silo is usually like a bad term, but here it almost feels like it's an efficiency boost because I don't have to worry about some crazy stuff going on in, in the back end for some service that I'm, I don't work on. I think it's the right direction because I hosted an episode of, of this podcast actually with Matteo Colina, who mentioned in a dream team, in an ideal team, 
you want one person working on one piece of your tech infrastructure. So you want, for example, if you're like a big e-commerce thing, you probably want one person in charge of the checkout experience and one person in charge of the single product page, etc. And I think we're getting there. And I think that's a very good thing because we also allow people to do what they really like instead of having generalists. But I think there's an interesting question in there, Paul, about people getting into tech, right? What's the preferred route? Is the preferred route to be as specialized as possible? That is to have a very deep knowledge in something? Or is the route preferred to be more of a generalist and kind of have a broad but not as deep scoping of talent? I don't know. Yeah, and I don't know either because you're going to get arguments that sound correct from both ends of the spectrum of the jacks of all trades and the people who can do things that nobody else can do on your team. And you're like, you know, we can never get rid of that guy because nobody can do what he can do. So do you feel like these technologies are raising the base level of complexity? Because you mentioned like this is like another layer to the stack, right? It also feels like there's the junior dev and grandmaster dev separation almost became like a thicker, bold line on that. Because you either know all the layers of the stack or you work on one of those ends. Yeah, but I think like your question was, is it raising the base? I don't think it's raising the base. I think the base is always HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. And I think for those of us in the industry who have been in the industry for a long time, we have a responsibility to maintain that that's the base. I would be very scared of a moving base because that then means um, not everybody gets to participate because it becomes more and more esoteric. I think a good example of this is AI and machine learning, right? Like for me, Paul, I've worked in many roles. I've been a front-end, back-end, DevOps, whatever. I've never worked as a data scientist and I feel like it's too late for me because I feel like machine learning and AI has moved that base into a very deeply mathematical realm that I would struggle to catch up to. And I hope that never happens to like web development. And so I think, I don't know, I feel a sense of responsibility to make sure the base stays HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. I think some of the fear some of us might feel right now as web developers with the AI stuff is that moving base because you can see the potential for that base to be moved. Yeah, definitely. So there's, I don't know if y'all ever had Laurie Boss on the podcast, but I would highly recommend him as a guest because he is this person who works at Netlify as a data analyst. And like, he is like deep in the package.json's of thousands and thousands of websites. And his job is to analyze trends. And he did a talk recently at Render ATL earlier this month, making predictions based on all of this data. And his big prediction, the video is probably live by now, but his prediction is, HTML and CSS is the base that's about to move because things like ChatGPT and other large language models are very capable of just making HTML pages that people fine tune. So it's due for an upgrade. And I agree and it kind of scares me. And I mean, we as humans, there's some inputs and mediums of communication that are just better done visually. And we're getting really good WYSIWYG editors out. You can get a lot done with clicking and dragging. Have to be in agreement there. <laughs> Yeah, although I do have like reservations about CMSs and headless CMSs specifically. That's just me as a developer, right? Like I, I feel a lot more control when I can like actually write the code myself. And I feel restricted by things that headless CMS let me do and don't let me do. And I understand the value for people who don't know the code and stuff like that. But yeah, so I think tying it back to the moving base, I feel like even if the base moves, I think some of us would still just prefer to write the things ourselves because we know it's automatic cars are the thing now, but a lot of people will still prefer stick shift because it gives them a certain feeling. I think that'll stay for a little while. 
Turning our attention back to Zod and TRPC a little bit, Tejas. I know there's a lot of crazy stuff that people can do with Zod. They have this refine method that you can use. They have all sorts of combinations and transformations. I personally have used refine to do something like you can take an input and feed it through any regex expression you might want. Could you talk to us a little bit about maybe some anxieties or apprehensions a team has had about, oh, there's this one library that can validate everything. And maybe they didn't think it could satisfy their need and how some of these higher level mechanics or components have allowed that application or interface really to blossom and be what it could be. Yeah, that's a really good question. If we think before Zod, I can't remember like a really solid JavaScript library. There was Joy, J-O-I, but there wasn't such a validator that was as extensible, I feel like, as uh, Zod is. And this refine step you talk about, I think, is a huge evidence of that. Like, you can literally, first of all, Zod exposes a number of methods already to validate on. For example, you have z.email, which... Oh, wow. Yeah, but email regexes are super hard to write properly, yeah. right? And they're usually very large and so on, but the Zod team is just, you know what, we'll give you one here. But because of the nature of email and maybe you have some type of on-prem thing with different types of, e- I don't know, you, you may want to fine-tune that. You can literally just like dot .refine and specify your own validation rules. So they give you conveniences and they also give you escape hatches. And I think that combination is really powerful. But I, I kind of find it hard to wrap my head around that doesn't even stop there, but it allows you to read, parse, validate, and then change and then transform types. And I think that's also fascinating. I've used this for like HTML elements. When you have an input type number and you want to validate that it's like greater than a certain range or something with Zod, HTML gives you the value as a string and you want it to be a number. So you can use in this case z.transform and parse float it essentially. But last I checked, and this is maybe an issue I should open on Zod, the types from transform in Zod don't reflect when you do type of z.infer. If you transform something from a string to a number, it's still a string in the static way, I think. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that it does all of this, I think makes it very powerful for sure. So we could almost paint the picture of if you're anxious about, oh, I have some crazy data or there's, I'm not sure how we're going to be flexible enough. We could probably express your need in your API using the powers of Zod. And consequently, then we could rope it into a TRPC interface. Do you find that people are plugging in the server side of TRPC and the folks you've been mentoring and consulting for like in existing projects? Is it a rewrite? Is it a, hey, we're going to take to the next JS handler and throw in a TRPC route on our server side? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, though from what I've seen with TRPC, it's pretty incrementally adoptable. And we talked about how there's like TRPC server, TRPC client, but there's also, we didn't talk about this, and I think it's pretty important, is that TRPC has adapters as well. And adapters allow TRPC to work congruently with existing solutions. So there's literally, there's a Vue 3 adapter, there's a Nuxt, there's an SWR, SWR being like Vercel's answer to data fetching for React. There's a Remix adapter, there's a Jotai adapter. There's just a bunch of different adapters where TRPC just brings itself to these things. And so in the case of like incrementally adopting TRPC, you could easily have a few Next.js handlers kind of rogue, so to speak, unmanaged by TRPC. And then you could have a few with TRPC. And then you can like slowly bring them together. 
So yeah, you know what I don't see, Paul, that's really interesting. I don't see a lot of anxiety or apprehension around Zod. And I think that's interesting because like people want validators. They want the guarantees of safety across the network boundary. And it's one of those things where the default is to not have it. You know what I'm saying? So there isn't so much anxiety of adding it because it's going to be good. And then if we don't add it, or if it somehow doesn't work and we need to remove it, then we're just back to the default. We're not any worse than when we started, if that makes sense. Yeah, so it's this thing where people are like, yeah, let's add it. And then if it doesn't fit a certain use case, that's fine. And what I've seen with a lot of teams I've worked with on this is there's a strong embracing of the open source nature as well. So like, if it doesn't support a certain use case of ours, we'll just contribute it back via a fork. So if teams wanted to start integrating or incrementally, like we, we just mentioned, like adopting TRPC, you can head over to the TRPC docs page, httptrpc.io slash docs, if you want to check them out. Yeah, it'll be in the show notes. I want to shout out Christopher Ehrlich. He, on Twitter, I believe his handle is something wacky, and it's probably in the show notes, but C-C-C-C-J-J-J-J-E-E-E-E underscore. I don't know why, but... He is one of the maintainers and I gave him a really hard time because I, I started exploring TRPC in February and it was not well documented. It was pretty hard to get, mainly because, so TRPC revolves around these concepts of routes and procedures, RPC, right? So routes and procedures and as well inputs and outputs that you validate with Zod. But with TRPC, there's a lot of concepts that you need to understand. You need to understand routes, you need to understand procedures, you need to understand how they fit together and so on. And I told him in February, I was like, bro, this is like Angular 2. Oh, Angular, I don't know what Angular was on, like 3, I don't know. But because I explained to him that there's a lot of concept overload and each concept wasn't at the time very clearly explained, especially to like people coming from like React query. And since then, it's undergone some tremendous development. And now I feel like having read the docs recently myself, it's to me at least, way more obvious than it was. And I hope it's more welcoming to people. Just a shout out, Christopher Ehrlich and team. Thank you, Christopher, because the docs are huge if you don't have the docs. And there are a lot of like concepts to understand, but I would say also if you're coming from a GraphQL area, it's more familiar or like you've been harping on, it's RPC. This is just RPC and having the verbiage of, oh, I know what a procedure is. I have the idea of running a, a query on the uh, on your server. It feels a little familiar. Yes, but I came from GraphQL. And the thing that threw me was, so GraphQL is arguably simpler in this way, that there's just one route. It's like slash GraphQL. Everything's on slash GraphQL, this one endpoint. TRPC has multiple routes that you can call remotely. And it even exports a router, like a full-on router. And I was like, Why? And in the beginning, as I was learning, I was like, oh, do I need to use Express for routes and then invoke them with... So I didn't... The boundary between the router and the, effectively, the procedure caller, right, was not very clear. Mainly because GraphQL doesn't have this concept of routes. Everything's just on one route. So it's Yeah, TRPC is like one layer up from where GraphQL is. You have to think about that structure a little bit. Yes, and also the conventions. So you have to use the client with it. And this is also maybe a criticism of CRPC. You cannot comfortably, anyway, query TRPC, a TRPC server without using the TRPC client. What I mean by that is if you have a get route, it expects its params along the query string in some format that the client knows really well. But if you wanted to like curl that from a command line or something, 
at least in the beginning, it's not going to be obvious. And then once you read the docs and learn, you're like, oh, okay, so this parameter that I send over the network and so on. But the client has strong opinions about the server and the server has strong opinions about the client. And these two are very coupled by design. But it's just a caveat that if you're trying to query it from something other than the client, you'll need to do a little bit more brain work. But you can do it. Of course. Yeah. Of just, course. Yeah. There are going to be people listening who think, oh man, if I can't test this with Postman, you can. Yeah, yeah. It's doable. It's still HTTP under the hood. You can send a request over. Uh, so Tages, are you like writing about TRPC in Zod? Is this like in your current purview of your week to week projects you're working on? That's a good question. So I did this talk at Canarius.js about it because at that point in time, part of my job is to just be very in the community. And I am. I am I'm pretty deep in the community. I've got my ear to the ground. I'm listening to what people want. They're talking about what they're interested in. And there was just a lot of questions about Zod and TRPC. What is it? How do they fit together? Why should I use it? And so on. And at the same time, Dayloves, the organizer of Canarius JS, asked me, he was like, hey, can you do a talk at my conference? I was like, wait, are you asking me to visit the Canary Islands? <laughs> and I was like, of course, man. And so he was like, what do you want to talk about? And I was like, everybody's been asking about this, so I figure I can make it clear. That's why. Now, am I writing about Zod and stuff every day? No. Um, but I do use them and I know the place for them. And this comes in handy in discussing with the community about solutions and things like that. I think it's important also that I, I share one thing that I heard from the community that was a real pain point. And I was able to solve it just again, because I've got my ear to the ground and so on, which is someone came to me after my talk, right? And asked me a really good question. So they're using GraphQL, not TRPC, and they want to use Zod to validate inputs to their GraphQL mutations. So what TRPC does, they want that, but with GraphQL. And we spent a lot of time kind of thinking about how to go about this, because what you ideally want to do is take your GraphQL schema and have a TypeScript type, and then convert that into a Zod schema automatically, of course. So basically generate Zod schemas on the fly and keep them in sync somehow. That was a problem we were faced with. And I said, this is what we should do. How do we do it? And we found a solution. And the solution is, a, is an open source library that is pretty awesome because Zod will give you for free TypeScript types, right? So you define your Zod schema and then you can derive TypeScript types from that with one line, right? Type equals z.infer type of Zod schema. Then one line and you get TypeScript types for free from a Zod schema. But what you don't get is Zod from TypeScript. So it goes one way. It goes Zod to TypeScript, but you cannot automatically turn TypeScript types into Zod schemas that you may want to do if you want runtime validation from types that you've already written or types that you've generated from GraphQL uh, schema definition language. Um, so we figured this is what we need. And I was like, I bet there's something you can NPM install that does this. Turns out there's a library called literally ts2zod, ts-2-zod, and it closes the loop and it's by a really good friend of mine called Fabian. He's one of the most talented TypeScript engineers I know. Um, and he wrote this. And I think this has been missing for a long time. Because now you get to use Zod even if you're using GraphQL code gen and things like that. And I think it enables a lot of safety. We got the other way going, the other direction. Do you think this is going to get roped into the core library for Zod? Or there's plans for that? I don't think it can. Because I think it's almost like a CLI that... Gotcha, okay. Yeah, you give it a TypeScript file and it converts the types from there to a Zod schema. And then it outputs, it generates Zod schemas for you. Tejas, it has been a great time talking about TypeScript and 
gRPC and Zod. In our last episode, we talked about Zod a little bit, got in, getting into the details, and now we're talking about how we could use it with tRPC to actually do some damage in, in, in the best way. To actually prevent some damage. Yeah, to actually prevent the damage. That's what we want. If people wanted to keep up to date with you, you're on Twitter, right? Yeah, that's twitter.com slash Kumar underscore. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash at K. Tejas, thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. It's been a pleasure, as always.